About 10 years ago, uh, my oldest son Trevor and I were at Boy Scout summer camp. And we decided to take part in the High Ropes Challenge course uh, that was called COPE. And I'm still not sure what the real acronym is, you know, what that really stands for. But all of us that were there at summer camp, we had our own acronym that we gave it. It was Certain Opportunity to Plunge Earthward. That, that was our, that was what we, it, it was apt, it, it worked, you know, it was very good. Um, one of the first things we learned uh, as we were, didn't even get a chance to climb up on the course yet, was how to belay. Uh, now this is defined as a method to protect a roped climber from falling by passing the rope through or around any type of friction enhancing belay device. Now, this device could be something high-tech, or it could be something very basic like your waist or a post or a tree. Anything that would give some friction and help you stop a climber when they fell. No matter how you belay, one thing is essential. You have to be secure. You have to have a good anchor point in order to arrest the fall of the person you're trying to protect. Later in the course, I got the chance to put my training into practice. Uh, another scouter and I were belaying for a scouter who was six foot six and weighed about 250 pounds. He was 35 feet up in the air, trying to go through a, an obstacle very similar to the one that you see there. And uh, he had just done the mile swim right before he ran there. And he got up in the middle of that, he got tied up, he got tired, and he literally just passed out. 35 feet in the air, 250 pounds, dead weight. It was all that my partner and I, who were belaying for him, could do to hold him up. We were not practicing a, a, a solid anchoring point. We were doing a two-man job, you know, and that, that was supposed to be enough to stop this guy. He got within 10 feet of the ground before we got him stopped. Um, you know, it's really important to have good anchor points when you're rope climbing. It's even more important to have good anchor points when you are navigating the climb that you are in right now through life. One thing is essential. You literally, at some point in your life, figuratively or literally, are going to have an opportunity to plunge earthward. So you need to make sure that you have somebody who is belaying for you. And that person has to have a good anchor point. And that anchor point needs to be something you can depend your life on. Matter of fact, you can depend your eternal soul on. Another way of looking at this is the idea of building that we talked about last week. Jesus certainly uses the concept of, building, of a building, doesn't he? We just had that read to us. You know, a foundation in its house, uh, or a house in its foundation, are very important. You need to have it done properly, uh, or the house will not... Stand up. When the storms of life come, you know what? The wise man's house did what? Stood firm. The foolish man's house went splat. We know the song. <laughs> we know the song. Today, we're going to begin looking at what it takes to have a good foundation. Or we're going to be looking at what it takes to have a good foundation for life. Then over the next four weeks, 
we are going to be exploring what goes into the structure that you build on top of that house and how important that is. But the most important thing is that we have to build on a foundation that anchors us as we go through this life, as we storm, uh, deal with the storms that come with life. Uh, an author by the name of uh, Tullian uh, writes this. If the found, oops, that wasn't it. Did I go past it? I had it out of order then. I'm going to get to it. There we go, because it's a good quote. I want you to see it. If the foundation of your happiness is your vocation, your relationships, or your money, then suffering takes your source of joy away from you. But if your ultimate value in life is God, then suffering drives you closer to the source of your joy. If your hope is only in this world, it's going to be destroyed. This world is passing away, will pass away. But if it's in God, it's always going to be secure. But in all of this, foundations are really key. No other foundation will save you in this life other than Jesus Christ. Now next week we're going to look at how do we build on top of this foundation? What kind of walls do we do? But I can tell you this. You can build that house out of the best materials. You can have it as fancy as you want to have it. But if you've got a rotten foundation underneath it, that house will go splat. But if you have the right foundation under it, it will, test, it will withstand the test that life will throw at it. Builders of skyscrapers know this. They know how important it is to have foundations. Uh, we all think of New York City, right, with skyscrapers. The island of Manhattan has an interesting geology to it. It is made up almost primarily of granite. Uh, there's a hard bedrock, and that's why they can get those buildings so tall. But to do that, to get those 75-foot, 100-foot-plus story skyscrapers, builders have to use what are called foundation anchors or piles. And they drive these piles down into the bedrock below. Some of the pilings, especially for the really tall buildings, have to be driven down 25 stories below ground level in order to support the 100 stories that are above it. They have to distribute the weight from each one of the skyscraper over each one of the pilings. Together, they support that enormous weight. Now, if it's not done properly, and this has happened before, Skyscrapers can get built, then the foundation fails, and guess what happens? Very expensive to shore it up, lift it up, fix the foundation, get it put back together again. Very costly and time-consuming. We need to remember that as we're building our spiritual house, our life. We need to make sure that we have that foundation drilled deeply by faith into the rock. And by the rock, I don't mean the wrestler-turned-movie star. I mean Jesus Christ the true and only rock. Then all the above surface levels of your life will be good as long as that subsurface, that foundation, is moored and connected very strongly to him. So let's take the remaining of our time this morning and dig into the two readings that we uh, had read to us this morning. The first was from Hebrews, Hebrews 10, 35 through 39. The writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians 
who had abandoned or were in the process of abandoning their foundation in Jesus Christ and beginning to build anew on an old foundation, a foundation that was found to be wanting and needing of completion and fulfillment in Jesus. They were going back to the law of Moses. They were going back to the tradition of the elders. And the writer says, don't throw it all away. Don't throw it all away. Don't lose your confidence. Persevere and you will receive the reward. Don't we all need to hear that message? I know I do. Hang in there. Persevere. The reward is there. You just have to believe. But, you know, we look around ourselves and we, we see the world <laughs> the way it is. And we wonder. Uh, you know, it's easy sometimes to buy into some of the many alternatives that are out there to a true foundation in Jesus Christ. Some turn to secularism, some to atheism, some to some form of paganism or world religion outside of Christianity. Some even turn to patriotism. They put their hope in chariots rather than in Jesus Christ himself. But none of that will save you. Only Jesus can save us. Only he can be that solid foundation we need. Now, I understand how those early Christians must have felt. They had come out of Moses, come into Christ, and gotten into all sorts of problems. They had been persecuted. Their members of their own family had stopped talking to them. It was easier to go back. Nobody was trying to kill them when they were a Jew. But now that they're Christians, their very lives are endangered. It was better back then. I can understand their thinking. But the, reminder, the, the writer reminds them of something that we don't often catch when we read Hebrews. When he says that my righteous ones will live by faith, he's quoting from Habakkuk, the second chapter. And he's reminding them of an even darker period in Israeli history. A period when God allowed an enemy to come in and savage the land and capture the people. In chapter 2 of Habakkuk, or in chapter 1 of Habakkuk, uh, he is complaining to God. In chapter 2, he says, now I wait for God's answer. And God does that. Beginning in verse 2, the Lord replies to him, and he says, Write down the revelation, and make it plain on tablets, so that a herald may run with it, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, my enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but my righteous person will live by his faith. Interesting phrase, revelation awaits its appointed time. You know, we want everything to happen now, and, and not just now, right now. Let's get it done. It's got to happen. We want that instantaneous uh, fulfillment, reward in our life. But God has a, a higher game, a longer game in mind as he works in this world. His game 
is so that he can bring deliverance to all people. Now, for Israel at the time of Habakkuk, that was something that was hard to swallow because their country was literally being conquered. And here they were, what do we do? When I read something that's really faith-building, read the end of Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, though this horrible thing is happening, still I will rejoice in the Lord, and the Lord will give me feet like a deer to bound over the mountains and obstacles in my path. That's my paraphrase of it. Um, that's the kind of faith we need to have as we approach and deal with the storms that life bring to us. We need to hold on. The promise is secure, but the promise, the prophecy, comes in its own time, in the time that God has set up for it. But then some will say, well, wait a minute, God is being so slow, he must not have any power. You know, the, the writers of Scripture speak to that too. Peter, the apostle, speaks to that in his second letter, chapter 3, verse 9. He says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God's playing that long game, isn't he? The salvation of the world is what he's worried about. But even if you don't receive what you are promised in this life, or what you think is promised in this life. Sometimes our perception of what God has said are two different things. But just as the writer of Hebrews says, hang on, persevere. The reward is sure and is coming. And if you wonder how that all works out, well, the writer of Hebrew answers that in chapter 11, and I encourage you to go home, read chapter 11, where it says, by faith, by faith, they did this, they went through that, and they did all this not even receiving what had been promised, but knowing that it was coming, because they were looking for a city that had not earthly foundations, but eternal foundations in Jesus Christ. That's the way we need to live our life. Understanding that in God's time, it will happen. But, and I think this is a great thing about God, even if what we're hoping for doesn't happen, God will still give us reassurances of his love and power even now in this life. That's part of what the church is about, folks. We are, in a sense, a fulfillment of prophecy, of promises that God has given. And when we are doing what God has called us to do, we are bringing fulfillment to the lives of many people that we come in contact with every day. God works through us, and we need to remember that. But to do this, we have to have faith. And when we talk about Jesus Christ is our foundation, we cannot have Jesus Christ with our foundation if we do not have faith in him. But if we have faith in Jesus Christ, then we have faith to know that all of the promises of God have been answered yes in him. But how do we put this faith into practice? I think that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. Here Jesus is saying that Real faith, real faith, is demonstrated in practice, not in theory. You know, we can say, I have faith, but then you go build your house on sand, and what are you saying? No, you, you don't have faith. Uh, you have false faith, if that's what, a false confidence. But if we say, I have faith, and we build our house on the rock, then the proof is going to be in the pudding. The proof is going to be if it stands. So we need to put that faith into practice. And by the way, the early church understood very well that the rock was Jesus Christ. 
Uh, Peter in his first letter, chapter 2, verse 6, says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Even if the worst comes to pass, such it was for Habakkuk and the Israel of his day, even then we are still secure on our eternal promises. They're ours in Christ, and we can take that to the bank, so to speak and depend on it. Paul in 2 Timothy 2 verses 4, I mean 2 Timothy chapter 4 uh, verses 7 and 8 says these words that I think we need to keep in mind as we live this life. It's the confidence that we need to have. Paul says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul kept the faith. It is by faith in Jesus Christ that we are saved. That is the foundation that we need to be building and improving always. Paul stood on the promises of God in Jesus Christ, and he knew he was secure. But to stand where he did, as he wrote to Timothy, Paul had had, had to do some demolition earlier in his life. What do I mean by demolition? Well, with God's help, Paul had to get rid of the old foundation that he had built his life on and put in place a new one. You see, he'd built his life on the foundation of the old law and the tradition of the elders. He was zealous for that, so much so that he led a merciless persecution of Christians. But while on the way to Damascus to persecute more Christians, the Lord appeared to him, struck him blind, and everything changed for Paul. He broke up that old foundation of a works-based righteousness and began to build upon a new foundation built upon Jesus Christ and the grace of God that comes through him. And that is just what we need to do, too. Nathan Cole was a Connecticut farmer who converted to Jesus Christ in 1740s. Following uh, is a description of what happened to him under the preaching of George Whitfield, a prominent uh, preacher in that area. He writes... My hearing the good news of Jesus gave me a heart wound. By God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up, and I saw that my righteousness would not save me. If you are building your life on any other foundation than Jesus Christ, it will fail. You are in danger of being swept away by the storms of life when they come. Now is the time to start over on a firm foundation, the foundation of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to live by faith, anchored to that firm foundation. You see, in a sense, Jesus is the ultimate guy to have on your belay line. He's going to keep you from falling if you have faith in him. And if you have faith in him, then you will have life, even if you lose your life. 
Now, next week, we're going to begin and expand on how to build on that foundation. And I hope you can join us. If you can't remember, sermons are available on the web page as well as on our Facebook page. But you don't have to wait till next week to start laying that foundation. You can begin that today. You can come to Christ by saving faith today and make Him your foundation for life. You do this through simple faith and obedience. Believe that He is the Son of God. Put your life under His control. Confess Him before others and then be buried with Him in the waters of baptism. Here we die to ourselves. We're buried. Then we are raised with Christ as a new creation. His life becomes our life. We live by Him. And we have put in place a foundation in Him that will take us through this life and on into the next. Our sins are forgiven. Our hope is restored. God's Holy Spirit is now our constant companion. We can weather the storms of life because Jesus, our foundation, stands secure. Even, we're going to find out next week, even if we botch the building job on top, if our foundation is Jesus Christ, then we will be saved. That's good news for me because I don't always build straight. As somebody pointed out to me the other day, but I will not tell them about that. <laughs> Kenny. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> and he wasn't even listening, and I got to dig at him, and he didn't even listen to me. Um, but, uh, you know, if our foundation is right in Jesus Christ, we're going to be saved. More on that next week. Just know that you don't have to wait until the exact right time. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe that he is your Savior, that he can save you, he will, if you will come to him. Whatever your need, the invitation is yours. Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?